Hello and welcome to the 28th British Football Coaches Network episode of a Developing Your Football World podcast. I'm Matt Ward here with you and today I'm joined by my trusty co-host James McAloon. James, mate, just checking, did you watch the uh, international football games or did you check upon the results lately? What do you think? I, I, I saw the results. I haven't seen any of the, the action. Uh, I know there's been some, a lot of goals. and I know that um, the home nations have been doing pretty well, but I can't say I've had time this weekend to, to watch the action. But uh, yeah, good luck to everyone and, and congratulations to everyone who had a, who had a great weekend. Good, good luck to everyone. That, that was my feeling. And as a, uh, well, I suppose I should say I'm still a football man. I didn't really know that teams or countries were playing until I saw on Twitter, you get everyone's a manager. Oh, what are they doing? What a selection? What's happening there? We're rubbish. I think England went 1-0 down and then it was one all, and then England were amazing. So everyone was saying on Twitter. So yeah, I didn't really know England was playing because I've lost interest when people can't follow simple rules when you're an international player. Uh, and yeah, good luck to them, as you said, James. So good luck, everyone. Yeah, Hope Nations, we, you're doing great. Matt, we can't influence that, so it's a little bit beyond my scope currently. When we get the call up to the national setup, then you know maybe I'll pay slightly more attention to getting everyone in line. I agree. Let's leave it to Gareth for now. So Gareth, you're yeah. obviously a big listener to the pod. Uh, you're doing a good job, mate, and, and keep up with it. <laughs> and and moving on to uh, the more interesting stuff now. Uh, today, James and I are joined by a coach with a big amount of experience in the English non-league game, currently first team manager of Ashford Town. He's also the first and hopefully not the last openly gay coach to be guest on our show. It's a massive, massive pleasure to introduce Luke Tufts to the pod. Luke, how are you doing, mate? And what have you been up to? Uh, hello, James. Uh, no, uh, thank you for having me on here. Uh, lots, been up to lots to be honest. Um, I'm sinking in work as we speak, uh, as I said earlier. Um, I'm currently doing my A licence, which I'm a little bit behind on my coursework. Well, I'm very behind on my coursework. I've got about 48 hours to get 49 hours worth of working. So that's, uh, that's the main priority. Um, yeah, amongst uh, obviously trying to run a football club and, uh, amongst other things. So yeah, we're up against it. <laughs> you are up against it, mate. Now, speaking before we came on live, you have been busy because you kind of started a new business during the COVID times. Can you just share with everyone who's listening, uh, what did you start, mate, along with your, obviously, your, your roles as a, a coach and manager, but what did you start as a business? Oh, we started up a drive-in cinema. Um, <laughs> we, we just, we had no... I'm just going to laugh. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, we had no... Oh, well, I had no income. My, my, my income's football. It's, it's all I really know. And obviously through COVID, there was no football, there was no nothing. And I, I was contracted up till 1st of January. And from the 1st of January, I thought, now nah, I better get more self-employed. I'll do it like that. And i work this and i work that. And it'll work better for me. Yeah, brilliant. Two months later, COVID it. <laughs> now, nah, no furlough for you, mate. No self-employed money because you've only uh, been self-employed for two months. Don't worry about the four years prior. So I was like, I've got literally nothing, got nothing coming in whatsoever. We're in a bit of bother here. What should we do? And we thought, oh, we'll make a cinema. That'll work. That was what we did. That was it. And oh, I, can't, I, can't, I can't describe the amount of hurdles and hoops to go through. But we managed to we meander our way through them. And uh, upon completion, we uh, yeah, built ourselves our own little cheeky little driving cinema. It was buzzing. Mate, that, that's... Absolutely brilliant and unique, and it just shows that you know 
you can literally do you can literally do anything you put your mind to and, and when you need to survive you know you you got to get up off your ass and do it and that's amazing what what was one of the main highlighted movies which which everyone came to watch Oh, Bohemian Rhapsody sold out um, and Greatest Showman sold out. They, well, they all sold out, to be fair, but they sold out, like, straight away. Very, very popular. So that was fantastic. Um, yeah, it was, it, was quite, it was quite a surreal experience, really, because uh, I did it with my friend, who also knows nothing but football, and everyone else we got to work for us. There's lo- loads of people out of work and that. So anyone that we knew that was out of work, like football people in particular, we, we gave them jobs. So we had a right merry band of us and we have to do like our little speeches like at the start and that and dress everyone and that. And we were actually honest with that. We've got no idea what we're doing. This could blow over. We don't know. Let's hope it doesn't. Um, and we have a little bit of fun. Uh, but people kept coming back. People kept coming back and yeah, it's, it's gone really, really well. Mate, absolutely brilliant. James, have you seen The, the Greatest Showman and have you been to a drive through or a drive-in cinema before? Uh, no, I definitely haven't seen the movie talking about it. <laughs> and I, um, I don't think I've been for, to a drive-in cinema. I might have been. Uh, no, I don't <laughs> think so. But, you know, what, 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 what? might have been. <laughs> I, I might have been. Like, I'm 36 now. <laughs> I've done quite a few things. Some of them I don't remember. Like, maybe. I'm trying to think. Maybe you did it in the US. Maybe when we were on the holiday there, maybe we went to a drive-in cinema. But yeah, honestly, not sure. But what a fantastic story. And there's a lot of people who should be very grateful for you, Luke, for uh, giving them some income at a difficult time. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, that's massive, uh, massive entrepreneurship stuff. at its best. We got by. We got by. <laughs> Amazing, that. Luke, uh, so to start with, just run into how you got into coaching and, and a bit of your, your pathway and and just a quick overview how it's led to where you are now because you have held some pretty decent roles in in non-league football whether it be in a under 18 head coach first team manager first team coach academy manager so where where did it all start for you and a player which has ever advantage as a coach and um, because when i was 16 years old so all, all my friends uh, at school when we were in year 11 were, were quite good at football a lot of them were and they got scouted by the Wokins and the like, all, all those sort of things. And I want to be a part of that. And obviously, I wasn't good enough to be a part of that. So I, I, I just knew that I loved football. And uh, I, I can't, it's weird. I can't describe the buzz I used to get as a kid, like going and looking at a non-league ground. Even there wasn't a game on, like I remember like even little railings around a pitch, little stuff. I used to buzz off it. I just, just the energy. And I thought, I, I, I want to be involved in this sort of thing. And... Um, I uh, rung up every semi-professional club I could in the area. So can I have trials? Can I have trials? Can I have trials? And they, uh, most of them obviously said, absolutely not. And uh, one football club said, yeah, all right, mate, come, Daniel, come, come do pre-season. And I, I was hideously out of my depth. But I think uh, they felt sorry for me. And I, I, they just had me around. And I was very, very grateful. And where um, anyone else that's sat on a bench and doesn't play is probably at the ump. I just knew how lucky I was to be there. And they were such good people and they were an extended family and they looked after me. And it was just the most, some of the happiest times of my life there. And I realised this is all I want to do is be in football. And we travelled the league room, they're, they're in that Ryman League, if you knew that that was. And we're travelling around the southeast and southwest of England. <laughs> and I'm never getting on for very rarely. 
But I loved it. And I was sat on the bench and I was absorbing every bit of information. Every training session, I'm trying to watch it translate into games. I'm just listening and I'm learning. And I just loved it. And I just grew from there. And one day, my boss was like, look, you're by far the worst player that has ever been at this level of football. You can't play football, but you've got a brain. Do you want to be my assistant and work your way up? I'm like, yes, that sounds like a great idea. So by the time I was 21, I'm doing the reserves at a Ryman club. And I've just worked my way up sort of thing. And yeah, just sponge as much information as I can. I think, I'll, I'll be honest, the first, oh God, the first five years or so, I'll still joke. I'll see it as a joke. And, and why not? Because I really was that bad. And I remember like the supporters, like our people part in the forum, like how can you be a serious football club and have him on the bench? Like, they write that, and, and they were right to write that. I it was must been about, but I do remember playing like we played Dover Athletic, right? One of the last games I played for the like actually I started, and it was hilarious. It was only a reserve team game, but Dover at the time going through lots of financial problems, and they thought their club was going under. So all their supporters come and watch this reserve game, and there was there was like seven eight hundred people there, which so to me was the most incredible thing in the world. And uh, we had a bare eleven and I had to play. And it was, oh, God, just I think that was the target of me for minute number one. I, it was just, but it was the most incredible experience for someone like me, not being able to play Sunday football. And I just, yeah, just fell in love with it. I was like, that's all I'm going to do. I just learned and learned. Oh, in, in, that, that's amazing. And, and this is why, and, you know, fair play to James and I for this, this is why we have real people on this pod because it's a real podcast and, you know, that has so much value to share to others, just that story there. It's brilliant. And yeah, okay, it's funny, but at the same time, it's inspiring because who's laughing now? It's got you into coaching. Now you're a first team manager uh, at senior level. You're, you're in a position where a lot of people want to be in. So uh, the adversity <laughs> you've had to go through and yeah, probably having broad shoulders <laughs> I, I also oh, I can't play. take yourself too seriously. No, you can't. No chance. No chance. <laughs> and and you know what? My last game was also against Dover Athletic Reserves as well. <laughs> <laughs> Common ground. <laughs> Which is funny enough. Uh, where, where was that? So I, I used to play for, well, I didn't make a first team appearance, but Ramsgate. So I played for Ramsgate okay. Reserves and we played Dover Reserves. But what happened was their, their main striker was coming back from injury. And I was marking him. So it's, it was their first team striker against me. And yeah, I, I wasn't the best in the team and he just batted me. And that's when I finished after. I was like, no. I've, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm a coach. I'm definitely yeah, a coach. Yeah, I, I think I'll coach. Literally, like, what am I doing? Doing? I'm not even getting paid a lot. It's petrol money. Uh, so yeah, that, that's we, a nice little thing we got in common there. Uh, Jay, Jay, on, people, what, what do you think about Luke's, uh, Luke's step into, into football then? Yeah, a couple of questions, Luke. What position did you play in the game when you were on for that bare 11 against Dover? Um, I played right back. I, I, got, I used to get five, ten minutes here and there when they were desperate. It was literally a case yeah. of Thursday night, they would say, I, I'd obviously never be in the squad. And then Saturday morning, they'd say, Luke, Saturday morning, if we're struggling, we'll give you a text, will you be there? Yeah, absolutely, no problem. And it was back in the days, early 90s. Do you remember like the 3210, 3310 Nokia's? Yeah, I yeah. still remember it, the vivid memory. I'll be there, my alarm will be set for eight in the morning. I'm waiting for the text, waiting for that text. And I got it in everything, every week. They could never get a squad together. I was always in it, right? I wait for that, beep, 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 beep. yes, I'm in. I get it, and I'd literally be like, I've got to leg it. And I would leg it down the football club. We're away here, there, and everything. I don't care. I'm not going to get two minutes, but I'm going. 
But yeah. like the funniest thing ever was when I scored a goal as well. Goal one, we played against Merston, and the last minute we lost two. Uh, we lost two one. I toe poked it. Just I just ran in a straight line, and then I just somehow they obviously thought I was so bad. There's no point marking me. I went and I scored. I looked back. No one was celebrating. They were all laughing. They were laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh god. But now it's good point. I played right backs anyway, and uh, I played centre midfield on Sundays. <laughs> and and Luke, do you the the the, the, the insightful coach who had the, the foresight to take you on and have that conversation with you. Do you still talk to, to him? And can you mention yeah, his I'm name? Currently, I'm currently renting his house right now. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> and does he now, obviously a few years, and I don't know how many years this was ago. Do you, does he, does he look back and does he tell you like, Oh, this is why we did it. Or did, did he, did he have an insight before he obviously he saw something in you and went, yeah, this is, this is worthwhile investing my time in and things. Has he, has he dug a little bit deeper into it? No, he, he knows that he started on this path and he did. Uh, and uh, I absorbed a lot of information at a young age. But it was a mixture of, I was a bit mixed up as a kid and I thought that it felt sorry for me. I think it was part of it. And equally, I think they realised they just couldn't get rid of me. I was just going to keep coming back because so they might as well give me something to do. So it was a, a mixture of the two things, I think, to be honest. Fantastic, and uh, I'm very grateful. Yeah, persistence pays off. Yes, yeah, don't give up. Yeah, yeah persistence. Yeah. Good advice. Very, very good advice. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, does, it does show you what you can really do when you really want to do something as well. And, and there's not many things we can't achieve when we get our heads straight and we, and we put our mind to it. And, that, and that's brilliant. So, Luke, through, through all your roles, what have been some of the main... Uh, learning points for you some of the main experiences which you you took away from the different roles which you can maybe apply to your role now oh god I learned every place I've been I've learned something completely different no it's not like it's contradictory but like it's built in but so there, there are probably two different things I, I learned the most out of anywhere at Hartley where at Hartley um, I was the head coach I, I was very lucky I was given an awful lot of leeway i did shape the tactical side of the game did, did lots of sorts of things but millers he's a manager there he's he, he's an absolute talent and he uh i probably got three things from there which really helped develop me so firstly i was doing i was on my pathway from my badges and i've just done my b license and if you know your b license eight v eight and things like that and they're just like little intrinsic moments, like little what-if moments that I probably wasn't sure of or didn't quite get right. And where he played a good level and his football brain is very, very good is he probably taught me the what-if moments and I still live by them now. And I think wherever I go, my teams are very hard to beat. Like whether I've got massive budget, no budget, where you're not going to just turn us over, whoever you are. I'll touch with them and get spanked 7-0 now at the weekend, won't I? But uh, tomorrow night... But um, but no, that's that's something I, I pride myself on is our shape, and and he was a massive massive part of that. Um, secondly, was uh, it's important to be able to see the pictures and row back to them at half time or at full time and be objective. So never subscribe to this. You're just ranting and raving for the sake of it. You, you've got to give clear objective. Like sometimes they get telling off, of course. Not very often because they're bigger than me. But um, they, but re realistically, you've got to be able to say, right, this isn't working. This is why it's not working. This is what we're going to do to affect it. And like, if they've scored a goal, is I learned very quickly, it's not just a case of, well, 
he, you've, he's beaten you and he's got a shot of you, stop it. Okay, well, where did we lose the ball in the first place? You're okay, you've given the ball away here because you didn't do this, this and this, or the players around you didn't. Then this has happened, then that's happened, then that's happened. It's a collective failure because A, B and C. And I am, I'm, I'm really good at it now and I've got a bit of a video camera and I can look back. And I'm, I'm quite good at it, but his, I don't know, his ability to pick out what happened from the sky and just his memory is just unbelievable. And that, uh, and realizing what an important tool that is to get your point across. When, especially when you're dealing with senior players, and, and you have to be right. You have to know you're right, and you have to see the whole picture. Especially when you're working with seniors, that they do self-preserve to an extent, and they've got the knowledge where they can do that. So you've got to make sure that you're pretty clued up. So that'd be the second thing. Uh, and the third thing was, I think, discipline through humour. So I found that uh, if you want to engender a loyalty or something like that and you're giving it Charlie big ones all the time, it doesn't really work. But, and especially if you're going to war with people with maybe an ego, like in a nice way, if you're dealing with people like maybe played in the football league or things like that and you haven't, you've got to be quite delicate in the way you put your point across or if they're getting a telling off. So it was making them realise they're in the wrong, but making them laugh at the same time. And I thought, and, and that's a, a key characteristic that he's got. I haven't got that. It's something I, I try and learn. Um, I, I'm just myself. I'm just chilled and relaxed. And that works for me. And you can't, as much as you look up to someone or you think they're, they're very good at what they do, you, uh, you can't be them. But the, these are things that I've realised work really well. And he massively succeeded. And they're things that I try and run myself by. And lastly, actually, it is consistency. You have to be consistent. You have to be transparent. It's not a case of you're on the bench because of this. Like you're not. You're on the bench. That's it. It's if, if you want to keep a squad happy, especially with seniors. It's really being transparent and fair and honest. And even if it's like not what they want to hear, it's you, you just have to say it. And you have to be upfront and you have to be able to back it. And then it's kind of on them. But if you're like sneaking around corners or one week you're putting him in for but then next week you're not putting him in for, for a different rate like it doesn't work it has to be fair it has to be logical and that way you keep a group together I, I and like group's that. really important yeah I like them brilliant sense spoken there absolutely brilliant and when you when you moved into your your role now you know it's it's quite a big step to be first team manager at, at this kind of level um, what were some of the main challenges that you, you maybe thought, oh, yeah, you know what? I've been challenged there. And, uh, you know, you, you had to kind of quickly uh, quickly become comfortable with that situation for if it happens again in, in the future. You know, what, what were some of the difficulties you, you faced uh, taking charge of the, of the squad, shall we say? Because it's no longer just a, a team game, right? You've got you to try and keep the unhappy ones as uh, least unhappy as possible. And, and how, how did you go around uh, dealing with that? So, well, a lot of my learning experience, I guess, actually came last year. So last year, I, got my, I went into the big world world alone. I got my first manager job at a senior club, which was at step five. And uh, so where so I was very lucky at Hartley and I did the shape with the coach and did like, I, I was given a little leeway. What I never did was I never negotiated with players or anything like that. And um, I do feel a bit of pressure being the only gay person. I sound strange, but I know there's a lot of people that want me to do well. There's also a lot of people that don't want me to do well. And that is, I, I, I do sense that quite a lot sometimes. Um, and so I was desperate to 
do you know, I thought I was a big part of the success at Hartley. As I said, you, you know how highly I speak of Millers, but actually I, I am also a very good coach and I was a big part of that, as was the whole group. It has The club was perfect. It was a perfect storm. But um, I didn't want to go and fail. And then people are like, oh, he's, he succeeded because all their medals he's got, he's got because he was with them sort of thing. I wanted to be, actually, he can go and do that by himself. He, he's, been, uh, he's good. So I went to the club. I had a fairly decent budget for the level, probably not definitely a top six budget, not top four, but top six. But I thought I can win it with that. And I was desperate to win it with that. And so the other thing people said is, oh, tough, so you know, he's Hartley players. So all he'll be able to do is he'll get there off cuts and that sort of thing. So I said, all right. I'm going to go, and my first thing was, I'm not going to sign any Hartley players to start. I went and I literally went and got loads of players that I'd never spoken to in my life, that I'd seen play, that I thought they'll do well for me, Facebook, Twitter, this and that. And I put together this squad, and where I'd not negotiated, I got my hands beat down, like massively. Uh, there was like, I, I won't name names or anything like that, obviously that would be the wrong thing to do. But their players would be like, yeah, they're on X, and they'd be like, they'd get a couple other players in, so they'd be even more important. They'd be like, oh, X just offered me this amount. Oh, yeah. Thinking about it. Okay, fine, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. And it kept going up and up and up. And uh, after about <clears throat> a week or two, I realised this, this, ain't, this ain't the one. Um, I've put a lot of eggs into one or two baskets and I'd never ever do that again. I, I, I now, this, this is what I've got, this is what I'm going to do. And I, uh, I'm a little bit more objective and process driven. So process is one of the things I learned at Hartley as well. <clears throat> process everything. So some of the players I had, one of them was uh, seen as my top scorer. One of them was maybe seen as my captain. And I realised after the second game that they're not going to do it for us. That they're not going to be. They're, they're all good wish. They pulled my pants down a little bit, but it's, it's not the end of the world. That's, that's on me as well as a young manager and I've got to learn. But equally, actually, they're not right for our group and our ethos and our philosophy and the way we play. And I'm very group orientated. Everything is togetherness and this and that. And they're quite individualistic. So I thought they got to go. But I thought after week two, if I get rid of them after two games, it looks like, and we struggled by the way, because we thought we were going to do well and we drawn them a lot before. If I get rid of them now, it looks like I'm losing the dressing room or this and that, or the players, like, oh, we, the, the players hadn't realised that they were a problem yet. So yeah. I had to wait for the players to realise they're a problem. Then they go. And does that make sense to you? So they had to have a real think about this. And I just had to bank on it sooner rather than later. So we persevered and it actually lasted four or five games. And after four or five games, um, they they turned on each other, the players did. Yeah. And I realised at that point, now I can get, now I can yeah. get rid. Yeah. And on the Monday, the boys all had a party. And I was like, there you go, that job done. And then togetherness was there. And it was one of the things I missed out earlier on. Togetherness in the dressing room is so important. And then after the, the group, is the value at this level. Where everyone goes on about it's about money and this and that. It's not. The value is the group. Do they enjoy being around each other? Do they give it? Can you give them something which develop this and that? Do they want to turn up and, and that? So, the, uh, and, and that's, that did well for us. And then, just Jan, in the first week of January, our budget got cut altogether and we hadn't got a single penny and we were second in the league and I uh, spoke to the boys. We had a group meeting and I go, no, nah, don't worry about it. We just, we, we plowed on without a penny. And at the time of COVID, we were second on points per game and we'd have probably gone up, which is when Ashley would come in for me. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of waffle for you. And, and a lot, that, that was a learning of the culture and, yeah, there's a massive learning for me. And, and what, what you did there is great because, like, it's, 
it's making players have to fit into the group you've created, not not the manager having to fit in or, or be flexible for the players. It's like, okay, if you want to join us in our group, you've got to be this type of personality. Do you fit in? Yes. Yeah, if not, you don't join us. There's a lot of really good, well-articulated detail in to how to, to bring a group together with or without money. Uh, I think that uh, it's fantastic insight into to what you did there. The, the question I would have for you is that, and I think this word is banded about a lot in football. It's about setting the culture, setting the tone, setting the environment. But there must have been, like the way that you're talking this now, and, and yes, okay, you went along a little thing, maybe you went, took a wrong step there and you brought the, the wrong players in at a certain time. But was there specific things that you did at the start of the season or in the build-up to pre-season? Were there moments where you said, right, this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to set the culture. And who led it? Was it you? Was it the players? Was it a group? Like, where did it all come together? And how did you do it? So I think that's going to be really something great for, for coaches, experienced and inexperienced, to, to, to get an idea of how you did it and how other people might do it. Uh, so I, I, I lead the way that I want the culture to be. But I do that by the way I act. And you, I think that players act like they're managers. So if I come across a manager and he's ranting, raving, he's swearing, he's trying to fight everyone, I'm quietly confident what his team are going to be like. And they, they act like that as people. So I, I, I've got my values that I think if this is how you succeed. And same as I, I'm being with you on here, is I'm very transparent. I'm very open. I'm self-critical. I, I, I'm, I tell you when I'm, I'm telling when I'm right, and I'm right more times than I'm not, especially when it comes to football. Uh, I'm quite clued up. Well, I'm very clued up. But with the moments that I do get it wrong, I say I get it wrong. And because of it, they know that it's a safe environment. So at half time, I, I've done things before now and I've got the shape wrong. I, I've absolutely screwed up. It's been on me. It's, it's very rare, by the way, but it does happen. And when I do, I say I'll come in at half time. They're probably expecting it, getting told off, and I've apologised to them. It's not work because I've done this. Sorry, lads. Please forgive me. Yeah, fine. All right. Well, this is how I think we can put it right. Do you agree? Yeah. Well, that work. Cheers. There we go. And and straight away you have that. Or if you, oh God, I don't know. Like the the other day, I had a player that was on the bench. He, he didn't get on, and I told him he was coming on. Coming on. You coming on? And he didn't come on. And we were quite close. And it, it was FA Trophy game. And it was worth a few good three, four grand sort of thing. And I um I won't say on here in case he's watching. He, he knows the reasons why he didn't come on and this and that. And uh, I think he's a fantastic player. So I think he's quite sharp enough from his injury. But my heart wanted him to play, but my head didn't. And the player people and I kept trying to put him on in my management team, knowing that I can also be not 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 soft at all. But I was being emotion led rather than objective. And they kept saying, "No, you're doing this." be nice this isn't what you should be doing think use your brain and I'm like okay you're right you're right and it was so hard anyway I asked a few people after the game I he, he was wasn't very happy should I speak to him and that and they kept saying no 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 don't 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 talk to him just make it worse sort of thing so I left it for 24 48 hours and uh he felt that um he uh, I should have spoken to him straight after the game which I should have and I usually do uh, and, and so I apologize no I I, I Usually, I'm quite good listening to the right advice. I might have not have listened to the right advice there, but I certainly did during the game. And I, I put my points across. But so my, I had to apologise, saying you're going to come on, you weren't. And I, and I literally said, look, my heart wanted you to come on. My brain and those around me seeing the picture without the um, mist of emotion 
were were telling me different. So, so anyway, so that that's how I am with players, and they and because of it, they like it back, and they like it of each other. Um, having a culture is everything. They have to be together. So we make them have a song. So if we win a game, that song goes on. And on whatever club I'm at, whether it's under 18s, whether it's first team, they have that song. And uh, that's also learned from previous experiences. And I think that engenders a lot of togetherness um, as well. I think that everyone, in, you have to have a mix of ages. You need to have young players for that youthful, bouncy, vibrant environment, which is key. But you also need older heads to guide them. You also need older heads for them to look up to. And the older heads have also got to be good players. They can't be players that just sit on their They have to be players that they look up to and respect. And when you've got that uh, amalgam is that word? You've got a mixture of uh, experiences. You've got a melting pot of quality, I think. And you just, yeah, it, it works. It works. Uh, Luke, fantastic answer. I think uh, coming across from, from what you're saying there is the... Um... There's that confidence you need as a coach, as a, as a head coach. Uh, I think that's fantastic. But also that reflectiveness and a little bit of vulnerability. And I think I'm not a pod that's gone out yet, but it's something that we spoke to on a, somebody else on a recent pod about when you can show that you are vulnerable yourself, players are more willing to show their vulnerability and, and, and accept comments from the coach. And I think, you know, the fantastic bits of advice. And uh, I think the right mixture that you've got there is obviously standing you in, in, in great stead. And going back to the player that you didn't get on, damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. If you ever spoke to him after the game, he would have said, oh, don't speak to me, speak to me. So that is, it's human, you know, yeah, it's human <laughs> emotion. It's emotion. And it's no, difficult. I, I, absolutely. And, yeah. yeah you gotta, absolutely. Yeah. I've done it both ways myself. And yeah, you can never really win. It's, it's, and, it's a difficult place. And, and again, that, that's given a really good insight into how kind of tough and challenging non-league football is. You know, it, it is literally not an easy stepping stone for, for coaches who are trying to progress, you know, into the professional levels. So absolute fair play. And uh, just moving on to our, our next topic now, Luke. Uh, am I right in saying you got engaged this year? Was it March? Yeah, March, uh, a week and a half before lockdown. So climbed that oh, well. Great, great timing. And, uh, and, and your boyfriend is Reese. Yeah, Reese. Congratulations to you both, mate. You. Congratulations. And uh, yeah, yeah great timing as well. I'm sure you didn't plan it <laughs> to be such good timing. And uh, yeah, I just want to talk to, um, to you now about a topic I haven't talked to a football coach before because I've not really not really yeah I don't think I've met an openly gay football coach before when did you come out as as gay 15 16 16 years old in football 16. so during your your kind of coaching journey you know everyone already knew it was already out in the open yes so I didn't really come they... out like nah they know already knew everyone knows so it's a little bit different for me I think um, I come out when I was 16 in football, yeah. uh, when I was very, very drunk at that club I, I spoke about. And uh, they're good as gold, probably because I was 16. I was I looked about 10 when I was 16. So <laughs> it's no, it was it was no issue. Um, and I was very looked after. But um, and then wherever I go, it it precedes me. So it's not something I have to really go into. Yeah. So you might get a few whispers from yeah. people like, oh, is this is like, <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> Massive gay turned up. 
<laughs> because <laughs> now, so because because it kind of, uh, you know, you, you, you didn't just come out a, a couple of years ago or a year ago. As you said, you was 16 and then you, you've had the progression as a coach as well. And everyone was supportive and, and especially, well, I say the world we live in now, it, it is at least getting more supportive uh, than it has been in the past. Uh, but still, what have you, was you met with and, and do you currently get met with any, any adversity and, and people kind of who are not as supportive and, and acceptive? No, oh, it's, a, it's a very, very difficult one. I don't think people are openly, like we say, oh, whatever, but I think there's an undercurrent from some people not many not many not many at all it's it's vastly made very very positive it's always at the back of my mind like if we'll go for a job or something like what if well i actually think it's probably helped me more than hindered me i, I really do and um, i think i probably get quite a lot of exposure that i certainly wouldn't have got otherwise and i've got to meet people in the game yeah. that i wouldn't have if i hadn't come out i've been invited into this circle and that circle and, uh, giving everyone ideas now, mate. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's true. You can say the good to the bads, and um, like, I'll give you an example. Like, when when we had a really good FA Cup run, we got one off the first round proper, and a few years ago, and it got a bit mad, and I was in the Times and the Star, it was just crazy. And a guy called Anwar Uddin, who's now a really good friend of mine, who's first Asian to play in the Premier League, I believe. He played for West Ham, uh, and he played he captain Dagman Redbridge to the League Two playoffs final and that seems obviously very linked in he uh he works for fans for diversity and sport is football sports federation and does a lot of work with pfa and he got me uh introduced me to them and because of it like my links network went bang so i already really got my b license but i got invited to watch the pfa's b license which is different to the fa's b license which is very interesting in the way they did things uh, again meeting more people um and yeah, I've worked very, very hard at networking, but I was probably given opportunities that others might not have been given in that way. So yeah. I've, I've taken them and I've run. But equally in saying that, I also definitely get more stick from... not 90% of clubs are very supportive and management teams and player groups and that. The 10% aren't. And the 10% that aren't are very vindictive and very... I don't know, try and derail everything and spread yeah. a lot of stuff and this and that and, and do their absolute best for you not to succeed. And whether that's because I'm gay and I'm like gay people, or whether that's because they don't want a gay person to do better than they are, that's one or the other, but it's quite obvious. Um, and but like, like I said, that is a minority. Mainly it is very, very positive. Um, some days are very different when, again, it's got better, but I, I play for a, a gay uh, LGBT friendly football club so it, it's mate it's literally just for people that happen to be gay that love football sort of thing we've got yeah. 60 odd players and that and we, we were quite good and our first team um, we played in the Sportsman League which is a very good standard of London Sunday football uh, it's not as good now but it, but it was and um, oh, I got spat on people threatened to stab me or stab us all sorts of things so oh, it, uh, that was about five incredible incredible yeah we, we've had we, we do have, we have got times of it but the best way of dealing with it is we want to beat them so because uh, again people probably assume some people assume gay people are just going to be a bunch of fannies <laughs> but <actually laughs> <can't be> <laughs> no I, I know 
and and it, it seems strange as it is when when we talk with or about black coaches, Asian coaches, uh, coaches who are females, and it feels kind of ridiculous that we have to spotlight it or highlight it. But if we don't, then you know uh, the the negative side of society does start to creep in again. And, you know, we do have to keep mentioning it and we do have to keep supporting it. But because now it's literally just a normal walk of life, it does seem strange that we still have to, you know, talk about it as something different. And uh, I remember my, my first experience, I was uh, 15 and uh, I was a, like a, a waiter at the time and my supervisor was gay. And at, at that time, because I'm, I'm very old and bold now, uh, gay marriages was, was not legal. So it was called a, a blessing. So uh, I went along to, I got invited to his blessing, which was a, a, a nightclub called The Birdcage, which, uh, which was great. And, and, and I went there and I had, a, I had a brilliant time. And that was like, you know, it was, uh, what we're talking about, 20, yeah, 22 years ago now. So again, back then, very, very, very different to even how it is now. But, you know, to me, it was brilliant, just the atmosphere and everything. So now, you know, I, I would hope that you're, you're not met with too much uh, resistance or adversity. And like you said, uh, the 10% just really aren't people you, you'd really want to know anyway, uh, to, to be honest. And, and these are the, probably the, the guys or the people who don't like gays, they don't like women, they don't like it if your skin's a different colour. So you know what, you 10%, you just go and play in your own league and then you can be happy with each other. Uh, in terms of that, I mean, straight away, we, uh, James and I was chatting with you uh, before we came on live and, you know, you're, you're very laid back, very relaxed. Uh, you're, you're, you're very welcoming, easy to get on with. And do you think that that's helped you deal with it in terms of working with your players like, I say, just a normal person as you are, but... Would there, are there, are there some uh, who are not maybe as, as outgoing or, or as confident as you who may find it a little bit more daunting? I don't know if that makes sense or not, but no, it makes your, character, sense. Your, get... your character seems more outgoing and comfortable. Oh, I get pulled up on it all the time. So I have to be a bit where I'm the only gay manager at that sort of level. I, I do have to be sensible with the words I use and, and how I come across and how I articulate things. and we get in discussions quite a lot about banter. And one of my friends is the head of the GFSM, which is Gay Football Sports Network. I've got friends that work for various groups and they pull me up on it a lot. So we talk about banter and dressing room and this isn't acceptable and that isn't acceptable. And I say, well, it is acceptable to me. And so, for example, the way I look at it, and by the way, I'm not saying this is right, it's yeah. wrong. We'll talk about that in a second. But we talk about consent. So, for example, I will take the mickey out of myself around my friends being gay. Like, like in a jokey way, same as everyone does. We all take the mickey out of ourselves and our intrinsic differences and that's part of being human and, and love. And if they do it back and they're my friends, that's fine because it comes from love, not from hatred. The difference is when it's someone that you don't know, that's what, it's when they say something very different. So if you're on the terraces and X is shouting something at a player that he doesn't know and he's saying this and that, you this and that, right? That's wrong because... That isn't, um, there's no consent there, that's just abuse. In the dressing room, if we're all in the dressing room together and you said, oh, like you made like a little comment, like in a jokey way, that's some love. And actually, that means you like me. And this is what I learned at a young age is actually when people take the mickey out of you and you're in that group, 
it means that they accept you, that you're one of them. And actually when they don't take the mickey out of you and they're not picking up on your this and that, actually it means they don't like you and you're not one of them. And I think that a lot of LGBT people that aren't involved in sport at that level, I don't think they quite realise that. We're going to war together. We are one. We are in the trenches together. And because of it, there is... There is, I'm saying as it is, there is literally no boundaries. There is nothing a single one of my players can say to me that will offend me. Uh, but equally, there is nothing that I can not say to them as well. And, and that is very much us. And I love that environment. And I think that environment is a joy because everyone knows for the right reasons. However, here's the issue. And, and you know what? They were found to be right. And it's made me have to look at myself a little bit. And I do, I'm a bit more responsible now than I was. Because uh, I said, well, Tuff, what if you've got a young lad in the dressing room that isn't you, isn't quite as confident and outgoing, actually, he can't deal with it. And you're saying, and he sees you putting up this and saying this and that. And to him, he's like, I can cope with that. And, and you're actually putting first thing him forward for a way you need to start this out. And I, I was like, I did accept it but with a pinch of salt. And uh, in the last year or so, like a few people have come out to me and one, uh, one of my old academy boys came out. And he uh, said one of the reasons he didn't come out in our dressing room was he sort of saw the, the, what I got and admitted what I gave back. And he was like, there is no way that I could put up with that. There's no way I could cope with it. Yeah. There's no way I could deal with that sort of attention. Not happening. And I realised at that moment, actually, do you know what? Maybe how much I enjoy something, maybe I've got to be a bit more responsible. And I am still irresponsible at times. I still crossed too many boundaries i'm well aware of that but i now do have it in the back of my head and there is i am a bit thought process ish with it now so i, I do get it so I, I know i've done a few things like talk sport and that and i have to put that across that it's not right you shouldn't say it and this and that and it's weird it's with a heavy heart in a way because i think it's a big part of it and i enjoy it but equally it's because people use it as well to convey their hate rather than their love and as long as people convey hatred through this platform you can't allow it it's a very tricky one yeah a, a, a nice balanced insight from from both sides there luke uh james anything to, to follow up on that mate yeah luke i think this is i'm gonna go to a comment going back just slightly to when you first started talking about um when you were playing in in that sunday league whereby you get people who are, who are aiming hatred towards you. Or, and I think this happens, I don't, it could be in any, it might not just be your team, it could be any team. But I think that that kind of that hatred or that, that kind of aggressive is always, always a sign of others' insecurities as, as much as, as anything else. And that would move me on to a conversation I had yesterday with some friends and it was about equality. And we were talking about our, our perception of, of what, equality and equity really means and it was a conversation based on the fact that we as i was i was with my wife and and her couple of her friends and her husband and her, and boyfriends or whatever and we were talking about how the, the perception of women from the community where we live in vietnam but also the perception of what women potentially have to endure in in this environment and i say endure i say are exposed to and how we as men in the same environment might look upon it. And maybe sometimes we're not aware of what's going on. And 
it was more, it was getting to the point, I promise. It was about the case that sometimes that when our, our wives or our girlfriends or whatever are walking around in Ho Chi Minh City or in Vietnam, they will be exposed to unintended, but also intended offense by things people say or the actions of men that you would, if I knew about them, I would be absolutely infuriated. But sometimes women in the, the, will, will not actually talk about it. They would rather say nothing about it. And it was, the conversation was going to, how do we promote the equality and the equity if people aren't willing to talk about it? And I think that is a really, really important point. And I think it goes back to the other players that you're talking about in the dressing room. And I think we, as, as society, need to be incredibly aware of what's going on around us. And we need not to say, oh, that looks uncomfortable. That conversation might be difficult. I think we need to really get there and really make an effort to push for the potential things that we might try and avoid because we might not think that, okay, it's too difficult to talk about that. I'd rather walk past it or I'd rather say nothing. Yeah. yeah, I'd rather avoid it. And I think that goes, and unfortunately, the conversation that I had yesterday really promoted me to think more about how often have I done that? How often have I said nothing or avoided the conversation just because ooh, I'm not sure if I'd like to have a conversation about that. And that goes into all aspects of inequality whereby it's not, we're not, we're avoiding the difficult conversations about sex, race, um, sexuality, everything. And I think that I, I think that the conversations that are going to are difficult in a football dressing room or difficult anywhere are the ones that we should try to have more often. And even mental health, this goes into, it's something that's really important issue that has always been an important issue, but it's becoming more apparent in the conversations in the media and the conversations we're having. And I think that we all, as listeners to this part and society, we need to be more aware that it's okay to have the difficult conversation because having the conversation and it being difficult, regardless of what might come of that conversation, is more important than, and is, and is more aware than not having the conversation at all. And yeah, that's basically kind of what I got from that. And it, it just happens to tie in with something that I was speaking about yesterday. And yeah, I'd just like to say everyone, have the conversations, talk, and don't avoid these, don't avoid conversations about anything. If you think it's something that needs to be spoken about, whether it's something that you see or something that's happened, then please try and do it. And let's be open, let's communicate. Maybe well, that's where I, I was going. I, I, it I wasn't a question in the end, Luke. It was just a point of view. Sorry. No, no, it's interesting, very interesting. I, I, think, I think listening to this overall and listening to Luke will, uh, will certainly help, uh, hopefully help, uh, others to do what you just mentioned, James, as well, which is which is great. Uh, Luke, to, to put you on the spot maybe a little bit, I, I've got a, a quick question I was just thinking about um, from some of the points James was saying. A scenario, let's say that you you had a player kind of like the the, uh, the youth play what came up into into the, the senior team you, you mentioned before. But if you had a, a let's say if you had a, a player what wasn't kind of uh, what was maybe gay but wasn't out yet, but you you knew you knew they were, and he or or she or they they wasn't happy with the kind of banter what was going around or some 
comments, not just because you may have started it, but generally just like the, the changing room talk, uh, they, they felt uncomfortable with it and they came to you. How, how do you think you would deal with that with the majority of the players? Uh, would you announce uh, like as a whole or would you do it individually or would you try and set some guidelines or something? Neither. What would you do? So I, 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 I was just be, thinking what I would do as well, and I, I haven't really thought about it yet. There are, there's, there's two things that need to be done. Firstly, uh, so you, you literally you just said the culture. You just said our culture is quite on it. Now, you've also said they're not out. So if I go to the group and something that's always been acceptable, and I say, right, now we need to stop this, boys. This has got to be yada, yada. What are they now thinking as the group? Yeah. Like they're, they're not people aren't sick kids they're very very switched on they immediately know that someone is uncomfortable with that and now now is a witch hunt yeah that cannot happen so what you do is you slowly slowly you integrate it out and it's only bit by bit but what you also do is you have to disguise it and you would disguise it with other things as well so this is unacceptable we're talking we'll, we'll say look we now need to be more professional as a whole group and you disguise it something else say right this isn't happening, this isn't happening, this isn't happening. And the comments, the LGBT comments, we one of three or four different things and you hide it in that mess and then you just build other things in. And so it's a gentle transition. So that, that's your first thing because the group will discuss out that. The second thing, and I do do this, is I speak to people about being more comfortable with themselves as people as well. And a lot of people that don't like certain, like, like I said, again, if there's any hatred or bullying or anything like that, that's stamped out. That is completely separate. That will not happen. That will not be in the single one of my justices, as I think, like things is probably established already. But if they are unable to cope with the humour from people that love them, that love each other, then actually that means they've got a sadness inside that we need to address and then they're still not happy with themselves. And so the first thing I do is I try and help them as people. And I try and demonstrate all the love that I've had in my life from people that say things that mean it in a nice way and actually how you look at it as a positive. And I try and change their mental thinking and try and improve their mental well-being, which is really important because I think the world's culture is changing. People's coping resources are a lot less than they used to be. And we've... Um, I've had times where people have been bullied and we put massive stamps to it. I've also come across times when people haven't been bullied and they think they're being bullied. And actually, I take them out of the situation, I look in, and then I bring up 10 scenarios and I say, look, they've said this to you, completely agree. Are they only saying this to you? What are they saying to other people as well? And they go, have a look, okay. And what are the people saying to them? Oh, they're saying, okay, fine. So actually, they're treating everyone the same. Everyone's treating them the same but you're struggling to cope with it. Actually, we need to work on your mechanics rather than the situation. And I think that's key in life. If you want to succeed, you have to have a bit about you. You cannot be scared of your own shadow. You ain't going to survive. I'm saying it's not being one of what people want to hear, but I'm telling you, if you want to make it in sport, you have to have a bit about you. It really is simple. So I work on that. True. And, and yeah, what, what a great answer, especially... Uh, you know, slowly, slowly integrating it or, or slowly cutting it down somewhat. And 
that that just reminded me uh, a time in the Philippines. So, in the Philippines changing room, our our team was made up of a lot of mixed players. So Philippine Europeans or Philippine Brazilians, where obviously in in back home in the UK or Europe, it, it's more open that everyone's walking around naked in changing room. You're having showers and everything. But in the Philippines, the culture is, is very, it's the opposite. You know, it's, it's very private and, and everyone doesn't do that. And then for some reason, just one day or one game, we had a couple of the guys just walking around like they were back home in like, you know, step, step five non-league pyramid in, in England. And uh, we, we had a couple of female physios and staff and everything who were around. And it was just really strange why we decided to do that and literally banned it around the changing room. And then and me and me me and my gaffer was like, well, we can't we can't like straight away say, right, no more of that, because you know, that's normal to them. They're they're European mixed foreigners. But at the same time, we don't know why it just started to happen after like halfway through the season. So it was like a little bit of an investigation. And like you said, you had to just try and see if there's any issues, try and, and, and make changes without telling someone they're not allowed to do this because other people don't like it. So, yeah, I, I totally get what you were saying. It's been a, a fantastic conversation. And I think that that last point that you made about resil- people's own mechanics, but building a resilience and building things into your toolbox that allow you to, to I think everyone said, oh, I have a thick skin. It's not about that. It's about being able to, to be resilient and move forward and, and not be too sensitive in a football environment or a sports environment is really important, um, you know, because it's not about things that might go in the dressing room. It's about being on the field as well. If you have no resilience, every time you make a mistake on the field, you're going to have a meltdown, which isn't going to work. And for coaches and players, as again, you've got to be able to own up to your mistakes. You've got to be able to bounce back. Well, who was it? Was it Ian Dower who, who, who coined the, the phrase bounce back ability? I think that's, uh, that's really important through, uh, through everything in sport, everything in life, really. And it's, yeah, I think you're right. It's fantastic, uh, Luke, that you actually try and help people with that and build it in. You know, that's, you know, that, that is something that coaches need to be aware of, building people's resilience. So, Luke, it's been a, it's been a fantastic chat and, you know, great, good luck for the season ahead. And I hope that you get everything that's deserved and you win, you win the league. And uh, we'll have you back on the pod to, to celebrate. So thanks, Luke. Fantastic. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. Yeah. Have a lovely day. Luke, it's, thank it's, Luke, thank you. It's been a pleasure, mate. Uh, really enjoyed that. Take care. And as James said, good luck with the season.